everybody, and welcome to the Avalon Podcast. Today is our second episode. I'm so happy to be back uh, bringing another interview to you. Uh, Today we have Troy McGinnis. Uh, Troy is the founder of Gearbox Development, which is a UI and UX development company that works exclusively with agencies. You can check out his website at gearboxbuilt.com. Troy is originally from central Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada and now works out of Victoria, BC. Troy is just a super down-to-earth guy and a fun guy to talk to. Um, in this episode, he, edu- he, he educates me on uh, different types of development and developers. Uh, he delves into a failed business venture and what's behind his idea for Gearbox. Bear with me a bit as it takes me a little bit to find my footing in the interview, but uh, stick with it because it's a great episode and Troy is just a great guest with some some really good insights. Um, as always, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome, Troy. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for, ha- <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the the podcast yeah no worries yeah um yeah I, I i honestly checked you out on like all the socials last night oh did you and didn't oh. find out that much you said no. you're an open book but I didn't well find out that much i i mean i'm an open book to people when i like talk to them face to face yeah but i i'm not much of like a an online social person you'll you'll find the most amount of like uh information about me on probably instagram but Oh, okay. I don't. I don't really Facebook very much. I kind of. I kind of just creep nowadays, <laughs> and um, I don't Twitter or really much of anything else. Oh yeah. So I mean, I think if you Google my name, I come up in a few places. Yeah, you came up. You had a, your own site, TroyMcGinnis.com. <laughs> yeah. And good, good SEO right there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, what was the other one? There was another website you came up on pretty quickly. Well, Leap. Yeah, yeah. You're still, still on Leap. Still on Check Leap. that out. Yeah. Copyright 2018. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, they got to update that. But um, I don't know. I know that when, when you Google my name, there's also some doctor that comes up. Okay, I did Troy McGinnis Victoria. Oh, to be a little okay. Specific. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah. You, you kind of narrowed it down a little bit there. Yeah, and I checked out your portfolio too. Nice. I think my portfolio on my website is very out of date. Yeah. Yeah. What was uh, one of the more interesting projects? I saw some pretty big names. Did you? Yeah. Like? Gabor Gabor Mate. Is that how you pronounce his name? Dr. Gabor Mate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's huge. Yeah. The power of now. Yeah, I know. That was actually a really cool project that I ended up doing with, like, another just local uh, designer here in town. And they just... Yeah, I was I was working with them uh, on like on a regular basis at the time. Yeah, and um, I didn't actually know who Doctor Gabor Mate was when I did it, but like yeah. it turns out he's actually kind of a big deal. So. Yeah, yeah, he is kind of a big deal. But he's from Vancouver, like he's, yeah, yeah, he's pretty local, but still yeah, he's totally. uh, pretty internationally renowned. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, cool. Oh, we'll get to that. But uh, yeah. um, the start of the start. You're from Victoria. I'm from the island. Yeah. I was originally born in Comox. Raised, oh, okay. Raised in Courtney. Yeah. Spent my entire life out there until I was 18 years old and then moved down to Victoria right after high school. Yeah. yeah. So what's what was it like growing up in, in Courtney? 
I grew up in Nanaimo, so I'm not far. I kind of <laughs> know this answer, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of want to hear from your perspective. Cause... Sure. I, I mean, it, it was kind of, it, it was good and it was not so good. I mean, I actually had this conversation with one of my daughter's uh, friend's parents last night about Courtney because they were, they were considering moving up to that area. Yeah. And I think for me as a teenager, it, there wasn't much going on. So it was kind of a boring place to grow up. And so I think that it kind of disenchants you with the entire place. Right. Because, you know, you talk to a lot of people nowadays when, when, when I'm an adult and they love that area. You know, it's, it's, there's lots of outdoor things. There's, you know, they have lakes and rivers and there's the ocean. There's Mount Washington just right there. Strathcona Park. Uh, Cumberland is a huge mountain bike community. And um, when I was a kid, I just, you know, I just got, thought it was kind of boring. But it was nice because I, I got to grow up, you know, cross-country skiing. And um, I lived on a farm, too. So I, I had tons of space to go biking around. And, and that yeah. kind of got me into, you know, outdoor sports and that kind of stuff. Right. But um, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of good and bad. So what, what did the boredom lead to? Uh, I mean, for, for me, it basically just led me into playing video games all the time. You know, right. and since I lived on a farm and was in a bit more of a, a rural rural area, I couldn't very easily get to my friends. So I always had to like get rides from my parents or go on a half hour bike ride just to kind of, you know, go visit a friend or whatever. Yeah. So that was that was a little bit, um, you know, it, it didn't make me want to go out and and go see my friends all that often just because it was such a hassle. I had one really good friend that I would visit all the time, but um, for the most part, I would, you know, just got into games and, and would play some some video games on my computer and, and a lot of mountain biking and hanging out with my sibling, so. So did you, when did you decide, like, I got to get out of here? I gotta... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was probably... Um, you know, I, I don't know that I actually made that decision until I had graduated. I, I kind of, I didn't really think that there was much other option. You know, it's just, it's what I had grown up with. Right. So it was like, I'll, I'll just stay here. Maybe I'll become an auto mechanic. That's what I thought I wanted to do at the time. Okay. In grade 12, I was, I was taking shop class and then I was like, Oh, I love cars. Like I'm I'm such a gearhead. I I love vehicles in, in all senses. So that's naturally naturally where I thought that I would want to go, but um, turns out it's more of a hobby, less of a, a career path for me. Right. And I just I kind of ditched that. And uh, my girlfriend at the, at the time really wanted to move down to Victoria for um, college or for yeah for schooling, and so that was kind of what drove me to to make that shift. And, and never looked back. Was never that never looked back? No. As soon as I came to Victoria, I was like, holy moly, this is what else there is out there. Like, yeah. I, I had been down to Victoria before, but never lived in another city. Yeah. I lived in the same house for my entire life. Right. So it was a huge shift for me and it was eye opening. Cool. And uh, have you lived anywhere else other than Victoria and, and, and Comox? No. No, I've. Yeah, just those two locations. Yeah. I mean, 
What what surprised you about Victoria when you were here, like when you got here? Uh, there was just so much to do. <laughs> and, and and it's it's not even that big of a city. You, you know, you talk to people that have been here their entire lives. Yeah. And they say it's small. There's not much going on. You know, they'd rather be in Vancouver or or, you know, Seattle or San Francisco or Toronto or or they really like it here. And um there was just a lot going on. The city didn't shut down at six o'clock in the evening. You know, you could still go out to the grocery store and, and, and pick <laughs> up groceries. Um, if you wanted to have like a nice dinner and there was a lot more options for food, restaurants were, were open later as well. And it, it was just a more bumping city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your first place like? <laughs> Here in Victoria? Yeah. Oh man, it was... It it was it was it was all right. It was one of those old construction like wood apartment buildings. Yeah, I thought it was awesome at the time because uh, I didn't know any better. You know, I, yeah. I came from. I actually had moved out um, into a bachelor in Courtney just in my final year of school with my girlfriend mm-hmm. at the time, and. Um, so moving into a one-bedroom apartment down in Esquimalt seemed like luxury to me. Yeah. It was huge. You know, There, it had slightly newer appliances. It had its own bedroom. <laughs> that's that's a good sign of a one-bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it actually has a bedroom, yeah. Yeah, yeah not all of them do. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Cool. So, um, uh, like, fast forward. So now, like you started to take up some web development stuff at some point, like what led to that? What was the, what was the piece? Did it go back to doing gaming and that kind of thing? Or was it, um, independent? Uh, well, it started off with me not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Cause I came down to Victoria. My girlfriend was going to college for accounting and, um, I was just working two jobs just to kind of make ends meet and kind of support her through college and stuff. And I knew that I wanted to go to school. I didn't know what I wanted to go to school for, but she has suggested that I go and just go for uh, computer science, essentially. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's I, I could I could get into that and and when I told my parents they were they were kind of relieved because they thought that I was going to pursue the whole uh, auto mechanic and there's nothing nothing wrong with being an auto mechanic but they just didn't think that I was going to enjoy doing that for my entire life yeah yeah and so they're like oh we're really happy that you chose to go with something computer related because you've always loved computers and I was like oh yeah, I guess so so I, I hopped into that well this was, is okay so the Put a plug in that for a sec. So I've heard, so I'm not a programmer. I don't do any web development, anything like that. I mean, I did Visual Basic and a little bit of (laughs) HTML in high school. Sure. Um, But I get this, like, sensation from the the tech community here in town and I'm sure elsewhere that, you know, they're really looking for people that, you know, are compelled to code, compelled Mm -hmm. to build, like... Mm -hmm. Do you fall into that category or do you think that's an incomplete sort of view on things? What's the... I think that I, I do to a certain degree, for sure. It's it's defi- definitely a passion. 
you know, I, 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 but it, has it always been, it was, or did you kind of get shown, shown that when you went to school? And kind it, of it kind of always was. Oh, okay. I, that's the thing is I, I, I didn't really notice it because it, it just seemed so normal to me. You know, from a young age, I, I, I worked in QBasic, which is like the predecessor to Visual Basic yeah. on my old, you know, DOS computer when I was like a young age. Yeah. And me and my sister would just write, choose your own adventure stories, essentially, just in, in, in QBasic. And I really enjoyed doing that. And then I also um, kind of from there in, in high school and middle school as well, we kind of dabbled in a little bit as well, not a ton, but like in Flash, we did a little bit of programming using ActionScript, and I really enjoyed that. And also, we built websites and that kind of stuff in, in middle school, kind of the basic HTML and CSS. But I found that I, it really, it, it kind of ignited a little bit of, of something inside of me, you know? Yeah. Like a little bit of a fire, but. And then when you ended up going to school, did it just feel like you were filling a toolbox? Or how did How did that, like, did it feel like it really resonated with you at that time? Um, well, at the time, it was interesting because the program kind of introduced us into a whole bunch of different programming languages at once. And so it was interesting to get my hands on a bunch of different things. I definitely learned what I really liked and what I didn't like. But for the most part, what it did for me was just show me what real programming was kind of like and also what was out there, you know. And it, it, it's not that it gave me the skills in order to to become like a full-fledged developer or do it as a profession, but it just kind of got me into the mindset of what programming was like and what development was like and uh, showed me a little bit of like Unix-based stuff. And then once I got that, it, I basically just branched off and just took the reins from there. Right. Yeah. Educate me. There's like back-end, front-end, full-stack... Oh, what do we, tell me, tell me, tell, tell me how this works. Well, I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there that have their own opinions about that. And <laughs> so I'll, 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 I'll just share you mine. Um, backend development is, is typically things that involve, um, like operational code. So you have like programming, programming languages like Python, PHP, Java, um, it also involved databases as well, like MySQL, Oracle, that kind of thing. And so that's typically the things that you don't see that go on behind the scenes. So front-end development is typically what the end user sees. So things like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, that's all front-end. And they're on top of that back-end stuff? Yeah, so you, you typically, so for example, just like a really commonly used uh, CMS out there, WordPress, is built on PHP. So PHP is the back-end that handles all the code with, you know, creating posts, saving posts, creating pages, saving pages, that kind of stuff, retrieving user information. Mm -hmm. And everything that you see on the front end, so when you click on create new post and you start typing in the information, you click on the publish button, that's all front end. Okay, yeah. And, and the term full stack refers to somebody that is able to do everything, essentially. Right. So a true full stack developer. And I, 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 I'm smiling because, <laughs> because I don't know that there are many very true full stack developers. There's a lot of people that claim to be full stack developers because they can touch on one or two things. They can do a bit of back end. They can do a bit of front end. I, 
I technically would fall into that realm. But I, you also, in order, in my opinion, to be a full stack developer, you also have to be able to manage servers, run like stand up servers from scratch. So that means you know um, building a a server on like a CentOS operating system, turning it into a web server, turning or starting up a database on it, as well as being able to do back end development and front end development on top of that. So. The full Monty. Yeah, it's not that people can't do that, but maybe more so what it is is that jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, yeah. Full stack. Right. Yeah. So, um, in your like, do people pair off pretty much in in their in the from a school standpoint? You kind of know where you're going to end up pretty early on. How uh, did you feel in it, with that? Well, I actually thought that I was going going to be more of a back end developer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I thought that. You know, C, C Sharp and and Java was kind of my language, you know, because that, that was, those two languages were kind of the most um, prominent languages, I guess, in the college that I went to. And so I thought, oh, this is great, you know, I'll just build out all these systems and, and things. But then as I started doing actual work, I found that I really liked seeing things come together. I like to be able to see my work. I like that instant gratification. Right. Right? So I started working on websites, and and one of the guys that I was working with at the time, is, his name is Aaron Down. He, he ha- runs a little design agency here in Victoria. He really pushed me to kind of become a, and I, I say this in, in air quotes because, again, it's, it's kind of a mythological thing, <laughs> um, to become a pixel-perfect developer. So, you know, he would be able to catch when something was one or two pixels off and be like, you know, you need to bump that over to the left one pixel. I was like, I didn't even notice that. But then I started to gain that. Right. And I really enjoyed doing that kind of thing. So I I kind of started to sway away from back-end development and really put a huge emphasis on and a lot of time into front-end development. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So there are archetypes. Like, do do you see, like, okay, that guy... He's a back-end developer, and that guy, does it have to do with haircuts? Or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you say that because of my haircut. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, I try not to judge, first of all, but yeah. um, I think, if I mean, if you were to probably, if we were to stereotype and strictly on appearance, if you were to try to plot me into into a stereotype, you would probably put me in with designers, actually. Okay. I'd probably. Okay, so this is an area we haven't even got into yet. Yeah. So the designers just tell you what to do. They, you make it happen. Yeah, they. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with telling me what okay. to do, but they, <laughs> but they, but they put together a design. They put together the visuals, right. and then I definitely make it come to life. Okay. A lot of the time, like I'll give them some credit. They they definitely steer a lot of that, um, but they. Um, there's a big difference between a web designer. And a web developer. Right. People often call me web designers, and I, it's fine. For people that, that are not in the industry, it's, to them it's the same thing. Right. I'm, I'm designing a website. I'm not actually really designing a website. Right. From their perspective, I am. <laughs> nice. Okay, so if I were starting my business straight up today, yeah, getting a website together, what, what do you recommend? What What's the way to go? What's the path? Ooh, 
Well, it depends, I guess. It depends on how much you want to invest. If is that the real question? Is it like, you know, how, how much money do you have to spend? Or is it like, you know, a uh, longevity thing? What, what's the what's the factor? Uh, well, I mean, it definitely starts from budget, from how much money you have, for sure. Um, if you want to get things done well, done right, and to last for a long time, then you have to put money behind it, in my opinion. Right. You can definitely go the route of going to Squarespace or going to... Yeah, which we have. We've yeah. gone to Squarespace. And honestly, my experience with it has been really good. Yeah, oh, sure. And, and I'll just say, like, for, like, um, you know, lead capturing, mm-hmm. telling people what we do. Yeah. We're not an e-commerce site, so there's there's not all that sort of stuff going on. So for someone in professional services like we are, like, to be able to build a website, built it myself put it together and have added to it over the course of three years. Um, I mean, it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. It uh, functions fairly well. Like I think like, I mean, there's certain things like the, the way they scroll on mobile, mobile and Squarespace just drives me absolutely bonkers because mm-hmm. you have to go in columns. It goes in columns rather than rows, columns first, then rows. Right. So you have, I don't know. It doesn't work it, for some reason. It doesn't work anyways. I only say that because I want to understand what I'm missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. And be brutally honest. You can be brutally honest. Okay, well, so so for, for a lot of people, Squarespace is totally fine. For a lot of small businesses, Squarespace is totally fine because you're just a, you, you just need to get your information out there, right? Right. It's just an informational website. It's going to look pretty generic. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people use Squarespace. A lot of people use those themes, and and the themes are built off of what is kind of most desirable, what looks good, but is also flexible. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, if you if that's what you want, that's fine. Stick with it. It'll make you look more professional than if you were to pay. In my opinion, if uh, I built my own HTML, if you website? were to build your own <laughs> HTML website, if you were to try to hop on WordPress with a a, one of those pre-built themes that have, you know, a huge toolkit of everything mm-hmm, you know, where you mm-hmm. have to kind of put it all together. Um, Squarespace will look better because it's all designed to be pretty limited, but look good. Right. Keep you in a box, but yeah. Okay. Exactly. But now if you wanted to kind of level up a little bit and you wanted to stand out and you wanted to become, in my opinion, more of a leader in your industry as far as your technical or your, your web presence, really. Yeah. Then you need to look to an agency or, you know, not necessarily an agency, but at least some capable uh, group of people that, that design and develop websites from the ground up. Right. That's really the only way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so content management, is that is that the th- owning it? Is that I've heard that owning it because on Squarespace, you don't actually own the theme. Or own your website, really. You own your domain, but maybe not your website. Right. Is there risks involved in that? Mm, like from a legal perspective? Or? No, just, I, well, I, mean, I guess like from a, a transferability. Squarespace oh, blows up tomorrow. Right. Um, where's your blog? Where's yeah. your Where's your content, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, the same could be said about getting a custom-built site done as well, is that if something goes wrong and you don't have developers to deal with it, then it can blow up. 
Right. Ideally, you'd choose a platform that's readily used, like WordPress yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But no, definitely, if you're in Squarespace and you're, all your content is inside Squarespace and everything's in Squarespace, your theme and everything, then it is pretty difficult to get it all out. You can get. I'm sure that there's a way to get content out. But if a Squarespace blows up, goes down, like you're lost. Like it's 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 gone. Yeah. It's kind of like Dropbox, right? Right. If you have all your information in Dropbox, and Dropbox disappears, then it's all gone. <laughs> they have backups. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the company's gone, yeah, then yeah, the backups right. are gone too. Yeah. Um, okay. So, getting back to uh, so you, you went to school, learned your learned your code, and met met a few people. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, then my understanding is you started a business or some sort of partnership, like it must've been pretty early on out of the gates or did you work, uh, somewhere else for a bit? I worked at a couple companies for a bit doing backend development. Yeah. What I thought that I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Working in cubicles as well. What I thought I wanted to do corporate job, you know, corporate America. Um, turns out I hate that atmosphere. I really, it does not resonate well with me at all. So I have a friend who still works there and he loves it. So that's awesome. For some people, it's great. For me, no, I don't like that at all. Nine to five, in and out, you know, it's just punch card, in and out. Not good for me. Um, and then once I did that, I, I started kind of contracting because I started seeing how much I enjoyed building websites and working on my own. And then uh, me and it would have been my wife at the time, we started a gift basket business on the side as well. So that's what she did while she was at home with our daughter. Yeah. And and looking after after her for like an extra source of income. Also started doing gift baskets. And then those gift baskets turned into a, a bigger thing, which ended up leading to us opening up our first retail store, downtown Victoria. Crazy. And experiencing <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah. So that was interesting. So was there any dovetail there with like um, with the web development side or was it t- two separate worlds, gift basket business, contracting as a web developer? Well, I, they were they were two separate worlds for the most part. Yeah. But one thing that really kind of pushed our company to the next level was was our website. OK. Yeah. So we, you got an e-commerce we, it wasn't even e-commerce, actually. Okay. No, yeah, uh, it, it just, I will stop jumping in here. Yeah, no, 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 you're good. Uh, it, was, it was really just a website that showcased our gift baskets. So we would put up, like, our products up there. But our, our gift baskets were so customized that, that we couldn't necessarily – it, it would have been much more complicated to build an e-commerce platform or a site around it. So what we did was we just took some really awesome photos of our gift baskets that showcase them really well, and we built a clean website. And we started getting a lot of traction just because we had a website that was ranking decently on Google because, I mean, gift baskets in Victoria, it's a pretty small industry. Yeah. But um, there's definitely a demand for it, and so people would would search it and then we would start going up and up and up in the ranks and then people would start commenting on how nice our website was and they said that they would actually choose us over a competitor because of how 
nice our website look. Well, isn't that the thing? Like I've noticed now that, you know, we have a bit of a web presence and we're kind of getting into that. It's just how low the bar still is. It's 2018 and industries across the gamut are just terrible with their web, like their websites and that. Like, I don't know, what was I searching for the other day? I think it was like air, inside air quality, just like. How do you test your inside air quality sure. in your house? Yeah. Because we have all baseboard heating and, right. you know, I don't think air circulates from November to, <laughs> to March. I think we opened our door this weekend finally. Yeah. But um, so you kind of worry about your air quality. Go search on, you know, the Internet. It is terrible. Terrible. <laughs> like you think yeah. I'm not the only guy that's worried about air quality. If you just put a little bit of extra effort into that industry, you could own it. And I think that's yeah. like, there's thousands of those. So yeah. you guys did it in the gift basket industry. Yeah. And, it, and it worked really well for us. We we went from, because we ended up buying the gift basket business from another person who had run it into the ground. And so it was, it was actually a company that had been around since 1989. And we, had to end, we ended up picking it up for a couple thousand bucks with inventory from the previous owner. And so we took it from being you know, a company that was worth a couple thousand dollars to being worth tens of thousands of thousands of dollars within a year or two. Right. Just from that online presence, just from, you know, producing high quality gift baskets, just from setting that quality benchmark really high, people were willing to pay the premium for our gift baskets. And we, we also use local companies like, um, oh, geez, what are they called? Um, they're the eco courier here in town. They, okay, they're fully electric. They they have electric oh. vehicle uh, electric vehicles. Who's that? Oh, it'll come to me. Um, we'll search it after. Okay, I'll post it. Sure, sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah, they were they were great, but they they were the ones that did all of our delivery in town as well. So we were able to also stimulate the local economy by having that business yeah, as well. Yeah. And a lot of gift basket businesses and stuff um, are not necessarily local you know the, the browns the flower shop down the street they'll yeah. they'll do gift baskets as well but it's not what they do yeah no it's not what they do exactly and so there there's like a worldwide gift basket company that kind of encompasses everything and there are some small shops here and there but um it definitely turned into a, a pretty sizable thing yeah. and all just from producing better quality products and from having a better quality web experience for our customers. Right. Just having your phone number readily available. And <laughs> all, all of our orders were taken over the phone. Like, we had nothing on the web. It was This was also back in, I don't know, like 2010, I guess it was. Okay. Maybe even 2009. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, it, had we had an, an e-commerce site as well, it would have probably... Right. Up. You could have blown it up oh, island-wide. Yeah. yeah, huge. Yeah. The probably... Coast to coast. Probably, yeah, maybe, maybe, right? Um, but that's a, is an interesting piece of it because, I mean, you get into growth at that, you know, you start off for, you know, a couple grand, you buy a business yeah. and suddenly it's successful. W- w- yeah. What was that like? Like, was it was it all roses and sunshine or was it <laughs> a little bit challenging too? I, 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 I kind of know the answer to this, but. Uh, it was, it, there, was, there was no rainbows. There was no, no sunshine. <laughs> it, it was, it became very busy really quickly. Yeah. So it was, it was almost, for, for us especially, gift baskets are really, really popular 
at Christmas time. We didn't know this. <laughs> right. We, we, we could kind You think of it was kind of a, you know, for, um, for, you know, deaths and births sure. and that kind of thing. But or yeah, Valentine's Day or, right. or whatever. Yeah. All these things. But I guess business to business, right? For Christmas, right? Not even. Oh, that was, it was actually, it was to the consumer. It was to the end customer that this, that all of our orders were coming in around Christmas time. Right. Okay. And literally 80% of our business happened at Christmas time. And we had no idea. So in the span of, you know, maybe two months, so November to to January-ish, I guess, um, it just got crazy busy all of a sudden. And so we were li- just living in a, it, it was a me- like a pretty medium-sized house. It was like maybe four bedrooms. We were splitting it, I think, at the time with my sister. And then it just got overrun with gift baskets. Gift baskets literally everywhere and just re- like made gift baskets and like gift basket inventory everywhere. But the thing was that we weren't expecting that, right? So it was, it became a grind really fast. It was like, oh crap, we need to like, we need to pump this stuff out really fast. We're getting, you know, it, we went from maybe a few orders a week to several orders a day, you know, 10 plus orders a day. Yeah, and then and then we had to find a way to to ship those. Because I used to do the deliveries myself. I used to just run around town. I actually got to know the, the city really well from that. But we we did all the gift basket deliveries ourselves, and then we had to end up farming it out for Christmas time because we couldn't handle it. Right. So right. the company I remember now is, is called Geozone. Oh, okay. And, and Geozone, they at the time just had their Nissan Leafs, and they were just delivering. Um, you know, gift baskets for us in their electric cars. And they said that we actually like blew up their business around Christmas time. Right. And we were one of their like lead um, clients around that time, just from that stuff. But it was, it wasn't just like we were raking in the dough, you know, it was a lot of logistical stuff we had to figure out. We yeah. had to figure out ordering new product and inventory because that ran out really fast. We had to figure out, um, we still had to figure out marketing, although obviously it kind of poured in around Christmas time automatically, but yeah. it was definitely, um, a learning experience that was really difficult to figure out and it worked out, but it wasn't rainbows, sunshine, <laughs> butterflies, lollipops, you know, all that. Jazz. So looking back, was there anything you, I guess you can't anticipate that, you know, you take over a, a couple thousand dollar business and yeah. you're going to be blown up yeah. at Christmas time. But were there things like during that time that you kind of wish you prepared for or did something a little bit differently? Uh, not really. I think that we kind of handled it the best we could and, and really um, it worked out quite nicely. Did you do the second Christmas? We did the second Christmas. And was it better? It was better. <laughs> Yeah, it was better. We were more prepared. Yeah. We prepared Geozone ahead of time. Because <laughs> the first time we, were, we just called them and we were like, we need you guys to deliver these things like now. Today, we have 10, 20 gift baskets to go out. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we'll figure it out. And they were a new company at the time, too. Yeah, so, yeah. So they were trying to figure it out with us. And then the second time around, we called them up before November. We're like, just so you guys know. We need you guys around this time. You can expect this kind of volume. And so even yeah. just after our first year, we could anticipate it. Right. Yeah. And so. So you do the second Christmas a little bit better. Yeah. Was it after that? Did you do the third Christmas? Um, I can't remember the exact timeline of how it all worked out. 
It, it might have even been that it was our second Christmas and we had to open the store by then. Okay. I can't remember exactly if it was the second or third Christmas, but it was around that time. Um, and then we decided to branch out and it was, I think a little bit of the success had maybe gotten to our head a little bit because we were feeling really successful. We were feeling like this was like your business geniuses. Yeah, exactly. Business geniuses. <laughs> we could do anything. So we're like, let's try our hand at this. We, we had this, this concept that hadn't really been done before in Canada. As far as we knew it had been done in New York and that was it. And it was uh, a full service picnic company. And the idea was that you could reserve or, or call in for a picnic and you could have a picnic put together with local fixings. So local sandwiches, local desserts, local drinks, all that kind of stuff. We were yeah. really hyper-local fo- focused. We're following the Victoria local This is movement. 2010, a 100-mile diet had just come Yeah, out. exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so right, right around that time. And... And then we could have the picnic delivered to your location for you to take with you on a pickup or on a picnic, or we could deliver it to the spot that you were picnicking. Right. So say you were heading to Beacon Hill and you're going to be there around noon. Okay. We would send out the picnic and they would meet you at your location. You'd have a meal ready to go. You'd have a picnic blanket for you to sit on. <laughs> yeah. You'd have the picnic basket. You'd have drinks, everything that you needed. And so the whole idea was that it was to kind of... Um, round out the business a, bit, a little bit, right? A little more summer, summer. yeah, yeah, and and, and, and to focus on things like engagements, um, you know, just family outings during the summertime or any significant events. Um, and it was kind of like outdoor food catering, I guess, right? And so we partnered with some some local shops. We actually partnered with Picnic, Picnic Tooth, and they provided yeah. all our sandwiches and stuff okay. for us because they do catering. Um, and then we also had our, our retail shop, which sold the same goods that we would put into our picnic baskets. So things like, um, craft root beer and fancy straws, paper straws and mason jars and, and wick jars. And we had craft marshmallows you know, <laughs> yeah. that we ordered from okay. from the mainland, all these, these fancy fixings to make our picnics. And what we learned was that running a retail shop is a lot different than running a solely online, solely over the phone from your house business. First of all, you have a lease, which is a huge overhead. Yeah. Then you have the whole construction of your retail store. Right, so your leasehold improvements, yeah. yeah. So massive upfront cost. And then you have employees, ideally eventually. We had we started having employees actually before we even had the retail store, just to help us with the gift basket building and everything. And so then you don't want to be in the store necessarily seven days a week from nine to five. So you you hire somebody to help you with that. And then before you know it, your your expenses are through the roof. Right. Right? And so... With not much wiggle room. Right. And so it also turns out that Victoria 
wasn't necessarily prepared for a picnic company. I, you know, I, I, when you initially mentioned that it was New York, I'm like thinking, so pretty much a company delivers all their picnics to Central Park. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, <laughs> Whereas that's, Victoria, there's yeah. much more of a diaspora of like places you would go sure. to have a picnic. Yeah. I imagine that would be thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think really the biggest problem at the time for us was that this business was really um, my my wife's vision. It was kind of her her you know her baby, right? And so um, when she was do when we, while we were doing that, I was also doing my contract work. I was also doing web development on the side, building websites, and so that started to really gain momentum. And so my focus really became doing that while focusing on our secondary, well, my secondary, my wife's primary business, second. And so that kind of caused some issues in that we didn't have a lot of time put towards marketing, put towards business operational stuff and making sure that the business was set up to success, to succeed. Yeah. So... Um, so while my business business was, was becoming more successful, it turned out that our other business started to falter a little bit. And so kind of balancing that became a major balancing act. And what was the result? It inevitably failed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, I mean, we could see it coming. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you realize that you're not putting enough time towards it. You're not putting enough money towards it. You start running out of money and then you're like, oh, crap, it's a sinking ship. Right. There's and, nowhere to get back in front of the eight ball kind of thing. Yeah. And so for me, it was it was that my focus was still really on my own, my own business and, and making sure that that succeeded. And so as things started to started to kind of decline a little bit, I would put even more of my energy into my own business. Right. So that caused uh, it to essentially topple. Yeah. Right. So what was the aftermath? What, what, uh, what was the result of that? I mean, you figure out you got to close your doors. Was there like an emotional toll like on you? Was it, did you feel like it was a failure on your part? I think that it felt less of a failure to me than it did to my wife because it was, again, it was her, it was her, uh, it was her idea. It was her business. It was her, you know, it was her thing. Right. Yeah. And so I think there was a pretty big emotional struggle between her and I just because, you know, as my business started to see more success. I started to focus on it more. So there was a little bit of like emotional tension between us because it was like, well, why didn't you, you know, kind of focus more on our business, you know? Right. And so that caused an emotional toll in in our relationship for sure. Um, For me specifically, it wasn't, it wasn't that emotional of, of a decline. It was kind of like, well, it's, it's, it's going downhill. We can't continue to run it. So we have to shut it down. That's just, that's a logical step. Right. It's a shut it down. And so what it really kind of did was it 
it gave me more of an appreciation for when small businesses just kind of disappear because I never really understood it before. You know, if, you, if there's like, if there's a local shop that you really like and then all of a sudden they're just gone because for us it happened. Well, Relish closed like That's right. three weeks ago, That's four right. weeks ago, right? I went to their front. And their food is amazing. Their food is amazing. Yeah. And, and the, the owner and the main chef, Jamie is an incredible chef. He's actually, they're actually now, um, uh, doing Relish through Accio. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but I didn't see that. But yeah, but so that, that, that's good. Yeah, so they're, so they're, they're still doing <laughs> they're still doing their food and stuff, but it's not the same thing. So like when I went, I I came back from some trip. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, it was for, it was from Disneyland just just recently. Yeah, I went immediately. I'm like, I want some brunch. I'm back in Victoria. Yeah. I went to Relish and I walked to their front doors and it was closed. And so initially I was like, what? Yeah, I think how? it was your Instagram post yeah. that informed me That's right. yeah. that Relish was closed because I didn't hear. And then I heard somebody else mention it a couple yeah. of days later. But Exactly. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, crap. Like this is, well, how could they do, you know, everyone's initial reaction is how could they do this? Like, why would they shut down? Why wouldn't they give us more warning? All these kinds of things. Yeah. But, but Panier, the business, the, the gift basket business that we had shut down quite literally overnight. It was like we were there, and then we frantically tore everything down from inside of our shop, took everything, put it into a truck, moved it into our house, and then we were gone. <laughs> we, we had our clothes sign up on the door for a while saying that we were, you know, we were closed for the time being. Yeah. Kind of thing, just like until until we figure out some things. Right. Right, so so people are usually pretty receptive to that kind of thing. You know, if you, yeah. if you put it up there and you're like, Clothes for the time being, personal reasons, that kind of stuff. They're like, okay, sure. These are it's a small it's a small group of people that run this, so they understand that. Yeah. But then all of a, all of a sudden, we were just gone. And so, I, I figured everything out with, with our landlord. We we were we, we didn't leave on um, bad terms or anything. You know, she was very understanding. So I really I'm appreciative that she was as understanding as she was. Yeah. And so there was no, there was no, nothing bad that happened there. But from the public perspective, we were just gone. And so when Rella shot down and any other company or any other small shop that shuts down um, does, it, it was like, okay, you know, there was probably something going on that people didn't know about. Right. And whether it was financial strain or whether it was... You know, um, personal things, you know, because for for me as well and with Panier, that was right around the time that me and my wife got separated. Right. Whether they were correlated or not or who knows. <laughs> but um, so there's always other things that happen behind the scenes. And since it is, you know, a small business, local owners, that kind of thing, people sh- people's shit happens. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know if, like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Oh yeah, you're allowed to swear. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is rated explicit. Explicit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just pouring out of my mouth. You know. Um, well, that's really that's really interesting because I I think, you know, something we see quite a bit too is like this danger zone, and I feel like we're in that sort of area right now too. Is you have, you know sort of three to five employees, maybe under 10. And you have, like, you can be in a really risky place because there's just not, the risk isn't spread 
wide enough. So, I mean, you can be a freelancer and, you know, it's only you that's, that's anything anybody's relying on. Yeah. Uh, but if you start to get into those three to five, I mean, the, the hits get pretty hard. So right. I can imagine, um, that was a similar situation for, for the, the, the business there is like, yeah. you know, if you go through a rough patch yeah. marriage or otherwise, sure. it's, it's, uh, it could be a death sentence for the business. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, so it it really brought a new level of appreciation for small businesses to me and how they operate and stuff because of, of things like that, you know? Because in a, in a bigger... A lot com- more understanding. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah and- Which is kind of an interesting paradox in the age of Amazon and <laughs> yeah. Apple and, yeah. and all that where you, you kind of expect these customer experiences to be sure. through the roof, right? right? Yeah. Like Amazon, I don't know, I ordered a book the other day and like I'm always surprised how fast it comes. Like I have a Prime membership. So it's like, I don't know, sometimes it's... Well, we live in the boondocks a little bit. I know that if you live in like... Toronto and places like that, you probably yeah. get it same day. Oh yeah, yeah. But I'm always shocked in the two day delivery time. And so, you know, small businesses. I mean, how do you compete with that level of customer experiences? And it gives you a lot more appreciation for the ones who do it really well. Yeah, they can have that customer experience sure. that that um, that coincides in that sort of competitive environment. I I think really. You know, there is no competing with a company like Amazon directly. You can't compete with them on cost, on pricing, right? No, that, no. That, that's impossible. You you can't compete with the nationwide, worldwide, two-day shipping kind of thing. So I think that for the most part, the the best thing for local businesses to do is to excel in other areas that they can't. So things like having that direct connection with people, having that, that kind of personal touch to everything. Right. And also introducing an, a new level of quality as well, right? So there's a lot of things that you can't um, really maintain high quality with at the level of Amazon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I say that and maybe that's not true because maybe they'll prove me wrong. Well, I mean, there's certain things like, I, I'm thinking of biophilia that's down the road here. Right, yeah. And somebody like that that does like landscape design but mm-hmm. also sells plants. Like sure. you're not necessarily, like I don't think that's the gr- the greatest place to go to Amazon to go buy yourself a plant, right? Right. So those sorts of things where yeah. you can get educated, where um, you can sit down with somebody and talk to, to somebody one-to-one. Sure. Sort of these places where people want to learn about something before they buy it. And you have this emotional connection to that purchase. So, um, I imagine web development is in that category that people want to be educated. Like, you know, I'm, I'm very interested because I'm a business owner. So that's why I ask you about Squarespace. Yeah. And I imagine people want to be educated and know, know what they're getting themselves into. Often. Yeah, definitely very often. And I think that it's a little bit more difficult to, well, I don't know if it's more difficult, but it seems to be a little bit more rare, I guess, to kind of separate yourself out on the online um, market. Because things were like biophilia, for example, as you had brought up, you can't really sell succulents for on Amazon. Maybe you, maybe you can sort of, but like there's so, each plant is so unique. 
Um, I also don't know how well they would ship, you know, so things like that. It, it's a plant company like Biophilia or a landscaping company like Biophilia um, has a bit of an edge over over the online experience where like Amazon or another company where you would purchase things from online because they have a bit of a, not necessarily a monopoly, but they have an edge that, that mm-hmm. you know, the online market can't provide. Whereas as a web development company, there are competing companies like Squarespace, like Wix, all these companies that, yeah. that provide really good experiences for the end user. You know, they get to build their website and it actually looks okay. Yeah. Right? So it means that um, agencies and local developers, designers really need to step up to the next level and offer things that that Squarespace can't offer, like that customizability, like that personal connection and that extra attention to detail. Um, And yeah, just like the a better experience overall. Right. You know what I mean? Now, it, I that brings me to another question of, of of that which is like niching that sort of thing where you get really really focused on you know the industry, maybe the geographics of a particular type of business. So, with web development and web design, um I imagine there's something in that that you know an industry really well and you know how their buyers you know, look at things that that would be another route to go because Squarespace can be very generic. Yes, Wix is going to be very generic across industries and sort of like, you know, sixty percent of the way there for all industries. Whereas if you go with somebody that really knows your industry, right. you're going into the ninety percent plus. Right. So, I said it's a good segue into your most recent project, which is Gearbox. Yeah. Um, is that on your is that on your horizon for 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 that kind of thing? Or is it, do you, are you still, um, kind of viewing, you know, the work as from the designer and you just execute what they have? Is there any, any considerations on, on niching? Yeah, I I think that I'm, I'm pretty open with letting the company grow in the direction that, that it wants to grow. So I'm not going to back it into a corner or kind of dictate where it should be based upon just strictly what I where, where I think it should go because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know what's best and, and as I learn more then I'll be able to direct the company better but for me I think that I really want to help agencies and designers achieve that next level of success and quality as well so things like if, if there is an agency that does niche you know, and they, and they, they, especially in Victoria, we have places that, that are specific to tourism that do building development companies specifically, or maybe even like realtor companies specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's still a huge opportunity to be able to produce something that um, is even more unattainable by those generic companies like again, Squarespace. I feel like I should stop saying their name because it's just like <laughs> becoming like a free plug for Squarespace. You, you, you know, but like... Keanu Reeves is thanking you right now. What's that? Keanu Reeves <laughs> is thanking you right now. <laughs> yeah, so 
So I think that that there's still, and especially like you've said, where you know you've you've done some research for air quality in your house, and, and what you found on the internet was a big pile of, of garbage, essentially. Yeah. When it comes to the website. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so I think that there's a huge opportunity for um, agencies and designers to be able to produce really, really high quality work, but it's really hard to do unless you have the right people or you have the right talent or you have the the time to do it. Right. So I think that our whole um, idea is that we want to pursue companies that want to put out better quality products, put out better quality websites, and be able to work with uh, you know, uh, I guess it can call us a, sh- a shop or an agency. I wouldn't necessarily class us, classify us as an agency, but like a small dev shop yeah. that is accountable and and really puts pride into their work. Right. Right. So now that you, so you launched like recently, yes. <laughs> very recently, very recently. Um, what was the what was these um, what made you want to take the leap again and uh, kind of do your own thing. Cause you, you got the, you did the nine to five ish thing at a, at a pr- pretty decent shop in town and with a good reputation. Um, what made you want to do it all over again and, and risk it? Well, I think that I've always had it in my mind that I wanted to work for myself, that I wanted to create something for myself, my own business. And even when I was going into Leap initially, I came from working freelance and then came on board with Leap. And even at that time, mentally in my head, I had set myself a a timer, uh, a bit of a deadline where I said that I likely didn't want to stay in any company. It wasn't just Leap, but any company for more than two years. And... It was probably just shy of two years that I was at Leap, so year and three quarters maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I, when I, well, I guess it was just like two months ago, uh, when I, well, uh, two months ago when I actually made the leap from Leap, and maybe five months prior or from today that I actually made the decision and to leave. Um, for me, it was I saw that opportunity for agencies to be able to have um, kind of an auxiliary group of people that they work with to help them with development bottlenecks, to help them with the quality, because it turns out that um, a lot of dev shops don't put out necessarily the highest quality work, Okay, whether that be because of time constraints or whatever, but they, they just... It is it's hard to come by really high quality stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I just really also hated working nine to five. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I, w- I was talking to my boss, to, to Neil, right before I had made the decision. And I told, right, like five months ago, right before I had told him that I was going to leave. And I said, you know, I just, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get what I'm looking for from any studio, from any place in town. It's not that I don't necessarily want to be here. It's that I don't want to be anywhere. 
in town. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think that any place can offer me what I'm looking for. And I, it, and it, it wasn't just like a monetary thing. It wasn't just compensation. It was, it was my time. And he said, you know, I hope you know that when you start your own business, you're going to be working a hell of a lot more than you do now. <laughs> yeah. More than eight hours a day. And I, you know, and I said, you're right. I know I've done it before, but I, I definitely understand that. And it was more so about being able to control my schedule so that I could do things like pick up my daughter from school, like stay home with her if she's sick and not feel guilty about it. And then I can put in time on the weekends if I want to, or in the evenings. And I, I'm not a person that has any, like I, that has a hard time putting in hours outside of the norm if I know that it's going towards my own thing. And I know that, that I, it, essentially right now, when I, when I put time towards my business, it equates almost directly to money, mm-hmm. right? In, into the company's pocket. Right. So. So I guess I, I kind of see the return on that a lot more than when I work for a company based on salary and you're not it's not performance based. So it's you just put in work and then, you know, you just get paid the same amount no matter what. Right. Right. And so and it's not necessarily going towards the growth of the business. You're just you're just doing the work. Just doing the work. Yeah, that's right. I, mean, I think that resonate probably resonate with a lot of people that, you know, have to put in that time. Um, and it's an exchange, as you know, as a business owner that you have this, if you have the security of employment, then that's the trade off is that you're not necessarily going to have meaningful work, right. but you're going to have work and you're going to know where your paid next paycheck is coming from. Sure. So that, that sort of trade off. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear this. I, I'll, I'll preface this with, with sort of my own answer, um, and my own experience, but I had this great question in a quiet moment. Somebody asked me this great question. It's like, what do you, she said, what are you most proud of about your business? And I was like, whoa, that's kind of interesting question. It was a quiet moment. It was like, huh, okay, interesting. I had to think about that. And I remember what I thought was like, you know, with, uh, with Avalon, it was, you know, a, a way for me to sort of build this company that's the best parts of myself. It's not like, you know, it's not, I don't know jealous or <laughs> it but it, it can reflect your best values right and you can sure. kind of tell it what to do i mean it, it's only going to do what you put into it mm-hmm. and i remember feeling that way when, when she asked me that question like you know what i'm proud that you know i've i've stated these values i've stated these goals for it and now i can kind of reflect the best parts of myself in something that's outside of me in this organization right um i wonder if you if you have like a similar sort of experience with Gearbox or if that became like a part of, you know, why you wanted to go out on your own? Was that a, was that a component of, of going out? Like you, you've already mentioned that you want to do good work, like yeah. great work. Yeah. Um, so I imagine that's reflective of your values, but right. was that sort of a component of, of starting this and, and doing your own thing? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll say that that is a very profound thought that you came up with there. <laughs> self-reflection in your own company. I, I, I suppose that that was a, a big part of it as well. I don't know that I would be able to put those words to it quite the same way that you were able to, but, um, it definitely was 
something that I, I felt I wanted to have control over and that there was something missing with where I was working as well. And that for my own core beliefs and my own, you know, um, desires, it, it wasn't reflected in, in the place that I was working necessarily. And not that Leap does bad work at all because they do extraordinarily good work, but there was just something missing. And, you know, I think that if you were to ask me the same question of what am I proudest <laughs> well, it's um, early days yet, but I, I mean, thinking, thinking that in the, in the future, what you maybe want to be proud of, of the business and like what it would look like. I don't know. I, I asked this question, like, what does it look like when it's done? Um, but what does it look like when it's sort of like you've put it together as far as, um, you know, what it does and who does it and, and that kind of thing? Yeah. What do people see when they see Gearbox? Right. Well, I, for, I, I don't know that it's ever done. No, no, of course. No, it's very like aspirational. Yeah, question. yeah. And a very sort of like generic view of like, oh, in five years, it's going to look like this. Or in sure. three years, like people are going to, the people that you want, maybe other agencies are going to think of your box and, and think of these things. Yeah. If that's the case, it, it may just be, I, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth because um, I don't know if your direction is to, you know, be a, a shop shop with like people underneath you and the whole bit, or you yeah. just want, you know, some contractors and you're just working as you, as you want to. Well, no, I definitely, I, I definitely have plans to take this to um, a degree where we have people working for us that are under, I don't, I don't like saying underneath so much, but like, <laughs> you know, work, working with us yeah, right. to kind of see through the vision of Gearbox. And I, I can definitely see that, you know, down the road that the values that I put towards the business that I, that I already have put towards the business um, and the, the things that are really important to me, I'm going to be proudest of as we continue to stay true to those. You know, because I think that it's it's super difficult for a company to stay true to their original values all the way through their business. You know, because sometimes there's something shiny that you want to chase after, or maybe there's another avenue where where you can kind of compromise on your your core beliefs a little bit, and then all all of a sudden it becomes regular business practice to do that. And so. Um, yeah, I guess I don't really know how to answer your question directly, but is there is there a, a is there a, a time in the future like you see Gearbox as being something like um, like you close your eyes? Yes, this would be awesome if in a certain amount of time it looks like blank. Yes, and what is that? What does it look like? Um. It looks like Gearbox would be kind of the the go-to, the de facto for companies to do all their dev work. So not even just for agencies that okay. want to deal with their bottleneck issues, but to simply remove their development team altogether. 
Yeah. And have Gearbox be their primary right. development team. And how many people does that take? Like, what size of shop is that? Oh, it depends on the, on, on the, I, the area that you're trying to service, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so you walk, I'm just thinking, like, five years from now, you walk into the Gearbox offices, <laughs> like, you look around, what do you see? Uh, well, I mean, if, if you, like, ideally, in my mind. Um, yeah, ideally. <laughs> we're, 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 we're talking, walking into a place full of 100 plus, 100, couple hundred. Even five years down the road, sure, yeah. Yeah. You know, 200 of the best developers that you could possibly find. And, and I mean, you know, I, I say that in, in, in my mind, that's kind of what I picture walking into. But realistically, yeah. I don't even know that I want to have an office necessarily. Right. So more so I would picture a network of developers all over the world because ideally I'd love to take this worldwide. Right now, obviously, we're still small and we're we're starting off, but but grand vision is having people in, you know, Toronto, San Francisco, Boulder, Colorado, yeah, in Italy, in Ireland, you know, in um, in Southeast Asia, you know, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and having groups of people that either work out of Gearbox offices or that work from the comfort of their home or from a co-working space just like this one. Right. You know, wherever they're most comfortable. I only, in my vision, if I was to, like, see the virtual world kind of acclimated altogether, it would be a big office. Right, right, yeah. With all the so it could be a big virtual office. Yes. Um, and what does your life look like? Like, what, what, do you, what do you, what's your typical day look like when when that's all done oh i don't know that's an interesting one because it seems really common that technical people developers that start up their own businesses tend to become less and less like a developer and more and more like a business owner i suppose and somebody Mm -hmm. who's you know on the phone answering emails business development business development I think that that's where it would uh, typically go to, and I don't know that that's what I want. I would love to have a big part in in operations and development as it continues to grow. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've just recently decided one hundred percent that I'm going to take on a partner. Nice to the company, and we're actually just working through legal stuff right now cool and um so you, you will actually probably get a an email from my lawyer pretty soon about <laughs> about figuring out the accounting yeah, for everything yeah, sounds good but you know um that for me was a huge huge step it was a huge leap of faith yeah you know because i have always been somebody that works on my own and i'm very protective and private of my own stuff yeah normally my own business my own life really um although i say that i'm, I'm an open book so i'm, I'm obviously working <laughs> i'm obviously working on that to, to kind yeah, of open yeah. that up a bit but really to share you know the the vision of my business and to to hand a portion of the reins over and be like okay let's do this together and i think that as things grow um that really helps because 
we don't do the same thing necessarily. You know, right. he, his name is Pierre. Pierre is able to do development. He's able to do design. He's able to do business operations. He's able to do a bunch of different things. And he really enjoys doing all that kind of stuff. And I am somebody who's focused on development and who really specializes in a specific type of development, front-end development. Right. And so that's something something that I'd like to continue doing forever. Did you have to sell him? Is there? Did you have to sit down and talk to Pierre and tell him what Gearbox looks like, or, or like what the, the the sort of vision for it is? And we talked. Um, we talked a lot. I didn't have to sell him though. But I'm I'm thinking from your perspective. So you have it. You have the idea, and it's all. You're obviously very um, passionate about that. Like the particular. Uh, need that Gearbox will fill. Yeah. Um, did you have to make sure, was there a way to make sure that he sort of saw that same thing? Yeah. So, cause I imagine like there'd be a scary, a scary bit there would be, you get a partner in and now yeah. they just, like, we're going to be another all, we do it all agency. Right. Um, because yeah, great. Yeah. Whatever work comes in, let's do it. Yeah. More money. Right. Yeah. And, that was always a huge concern before making the decision to bring on a partner is that worry that they would take over, you know, operations and, and direction for the company. Mm-hmm. And so Pierre and I have actually been in contact uh, for, for several years. Um, and we've been doing, you know, some, some work on the side together a little bit here and there. And, um, he's actually based out of Manitoba, so okay. I've only ever encountered, you know, I've never only ever seen him face to face and talked to him face to face in real life in yeah, the yeah. flesh a couple times. Um, and but we've we've been doing you know things together for a while now. And when I told him about uh, told him about Gearbox and my my kind of idea behind the company and vision and everything he it just kind of aligned exactly with what he was looking for and what exactly he you know kind of cherished in a business I guess you know it it spoke to him directly it seemed right and so we had some talks about um about what he would have wanted in a company for himself. And that was kind of before I actually told him really the core values of my own company. And so the things that he were was saying lined up directly with what Gearbox was all about. Cool. And he had, he had already talked about how he had tried at a couple of his other companies to spin up a dev shop and on, on his own, essentially that would, that would contract out to those shops and, and handle all the development for, for everything that they do. And most of the times he got shut down, you know, the, or they would say, yeah, let's do it. And then they would just kind of, you know, nod their heads while they backed away. You know, they just, they were never really fully interested in doing it. Right. Right. And so, you know, when we talked about ethics and stuff, it, it aligned, aligned perfectly. You know, his, his ethical belief when it comes to dealing with clients, when it comes to transparency, honesty, communication, accountability, all that kind of stuff lined up perfectly. Yeah. And so, 
yeah, I can't remember your original question anymore. But <laughs> well, I, it, what it was sort of getting at was like that nervousness around taking on a partner, and right. and and now you've and this is what we were talking about before, and and now you have this organization or yeah. this thing that's really your baby, yeah, um, that you're allowing someone to co-parent with, so yeah, yeah. and have a say in matters as well. Yeah. So that, that this is an interesting like I, I, I'm. I, I guess where I was getting at was, you know, what were the anxieties around that and how did you um, come to a conclusion? But you answered that. That's like, I think, a a pretty similar thing where you you have to make sure that these are aligned because partnerships go bad, right? For sure. All all the time. All the time. (laughs) My, My dad has a lot of words to say about partnerships that go bad and he had a lot of advice to give in the right. aspect because he's had his own experiences. Okay, that. yeah. But at the end of the day, the thing that I really realized is that it really motivated me to grow the company and to do better. Right. You know, to work alongside somebody who has the same vision, who has the same drive, who has the same plans and everything was huge, you know? And so it, it made me feel even more ignited and even more capable of taking Gearbox to the next level. Right. And to really turn it into something huge. Right. So what is the next step for Gearbox? Like if you're going to talk about, you know, world domination of (laughs) (laughs) dev shops, um, what's the next step? What do you got to, what do you have to do now? Well, uh, I mean, we, we still have to, cause well, you said that, that I've, I've launched my, I haven't actually launched my business yet. So okay. it's, it's, oh, okay. Okay. it's in operations and we're yep. doing things, but we haven't put our name really out there yet. We yep. haven't built our own website and we haven't been like, Hey, Gearbox is a thing. Come to us. Right. Okay. Right? Okay. So, so we have to launch basically is, is the next steps really. Cool. So, and is that like, so you, you put it, put your name out there and, and is it iteration after that? Or do you kind of, do you have that solidified at this point of that? This is the, this is the idea. This is the need we're filling and it's going to look like this. And there will always be iteration always forever, forever more. I'm sure. Yeah. Like we will, we have our idea of what we want to offer and what we think the industry needs. But as demand changes or as demand presents itself, we'll, we'll, adjust accordingly to be able to fill those needs. Yeah. But um, we have our ideas right now and what we're planning on doing and like how we're going to move forward. But um, really until we are doing all the work and out there working with everybody, we won't really know. Right. So, so we'll always be refining our process and honing it and making it better and better and better, just like our products. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so just w- one last question before you go. And I, I, I kind of asked this a few minutes ago, but I, I'm still crafting this question to get the right Ooh. to get the right response. Sure. Not the right response, but no, the, I know. The, the idea. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, when your business is kind of operating the way you want it to, for the most part, I mean, if it's up and running and, and things are going, what does your life look like? I mean, what does your right. your day look like? Right. I, I I sort of hinted at you know walking into the office, the virtual office, but I mean in a in a grander sense of sure. like what are the kind other th- kinds of things you're doing um, 
obviously tinkering. We didn't even touch on the cars because I was I was meaning to put a pin in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And come back to it, but but that kind of thing. Like, what is your what is your ideal life look like with the business in, involved somehow? Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie that you know building a business uh, part of it is is developing wealth for myself, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. course, and so. Um, I think that when, whether it's world domination or, or gearbox is at whatever size we, it is in five years and operating at whatever capacity that it is, ideally I would, I would love to be able to, to shorten my days in the office or, or at, at the desk, whatever it may be, cause it's virtual mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I think that what it would do is is allow me to focus on more ideas, you know, whether it be more products that Gearbox can create or even just another business that kind of spins off of that or or another direction that's another specific niche or something that that hasn't been addressed yet but really I would love for it to be able to offer me the freedom to be able to lead a life um where first of all obviously finances are less of an issue right you have some financial freedom yeah some financial freedom but also um you know allow me more time with my family and my my daughter and um I'd love to travel and all that kind of stuff. And I think that all this stuff really ties back to being able to offer um, something more to the business or at least, you know, um, another business moving forward as well, where I, I, I gain more experiences in life and and just experience more of what's out there. Right. You know, and so I think if we're talking about like my, my what, what a day in my life would look like back then, or not back in the future, you know, um, ideally I would, I would own my own house and I would wake up not at the crack of dawn necessarily, unless I wanted to and, and put in a little bit of work or, or start my day off with some meditation, start it off nice and slow and, and ideally let the people that work at Gearbox and run Gearbox do their own thing and let the machine churn as it does and just assist in picking a direction for the company and moving the direction in in a company that makes sense and also um, developing still. Right. And, of course, tinkering on cars. Yeah. So it's a perfect day, a perfect day. You know, there's, there's obviously so many things that, that, that pop into my head when I think about what I would ideally like to have in my ideal life and everything. But, um, one thing I don't want is to ever stop working. You know, people talk about retirement and working towards retirement and the ideal retirement that people talk about all the time, you know, playing golf, sitting on your yacht. (laughs) <laughs> all those kinds of things yeah not of interest to me no no i always want to be moving and doing things and if i'm not working on my business i want to be working on myself working on my family and doing cool things that's about it just hanging out just hanging out <laughs> working enjoying life enjoying life yeah nice yeah um 
I hope that answered your question. No, that does. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. That's great. No, um, yeah, time and money. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially time. So Gearbox will be launching fairly soon. Where can people look out for that? Yeah, so our website is gearboxbuilt.com. Right now, it's just a landing page with our logo on it and not much more. But we're hoping to launch. Uh, we haven't really put a date to it, but I guess, I mean, if I'm putting it out there, I might as well put it out there. Um, what are we at right now? It's March. Mar- Mid-March. Mid-March. March 12th. 13th. 13th. Today, yeah. So by the end of the month, ideally, we'll launch ourselves. Cool. Have ourselves on our website. So this could be, it could be launched by the time this podcast launches. Yeah. Because yeah. it's expecting to Ooh. launch in April. Is but it? Yeah. Ooh. Um, yeah. So it could be launched right, right then, gearboxbuilt.com. Yeah. Um, how about you? People wanted to connect with you. Yeah. So you can you can find me on LinkedIn or you can search me on Google as you found yourself and you can find my <laughs> personal website, which don't look too closely at it. It's, it's not my latest work, although some some decent stuff on there as well. But my, my email is on there, my LinkedIn, my Facebook and everything is okay, connected cool. to there. Um, my Facebook, I think, is actually fully open to the world. I don't really hide too oh, much. Yeah. It might be. It might be. How about your Instagram? Do you have to? Do you always have to accept nope. Instagram? It's wide open. It's yeah. wide open too. You, you can also find. And if it you as, want to know where the late, latest restaurant that closed in Victoria, uh, yeah, is. That's right. You just, you <laughs> just follow, follow Troy. Me at Troy <laughs> underscore McGinnis. Um, also, Gearbox built on Instagram as well. Okay, cool. So you can find us there. We only have one post right now, but at the time of this. This podcast being released, I'm sure that we'll have several posts at that point. Well, this will motivate you. Yeah, there you go. Maybe maybe we'll say by the time this podcast launched, we'll have um, Gearbox launched and maybe even our first employee. Wow. Cool. All right. Exciting times. Thanks, Troy. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Joe. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear some more from us here at Avalon, you should sign up to our newsletter. We send out a short point form email every Monday morning. Uh, It has some great stuff that we've come across uh, in the past week. It follows a similar format every week, which is a point form format. Uh, We cover a business growth tip, a productivity tip, uh, an accounting or finance or tax tip that you might find interesting, uh, some recent happenings here at Avalon, and something just straight out of left field that we think you might find interesting because we did. So if you are interested in getting that newsletter, please go to avalonaccounting.ca slash newsletter. That's avalonaccounting.ca slash newsletter. Fill out the form and you will be added to the next installment. Again, thanks so much for listening and until next time, peace out. Thank you.